0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from
1: HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, at least as far as I can tell here in the dark, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
0: When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we will see.
1: as <laughs> an especially good one for today's episode.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been trying to theme them a little. Uh, you can tell the theme ones because those are the ones where I thought about finding the quote before we started recording. And yeah, most of the time he goes, oh, wait, 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 I got to think of a quote. Yeah, exactly. That's... That's a problem. It, usually it's just when we hit record and, uh, and I, str- I struggle to find some lyric. But anyway, let's move on to today's topic, which is night vision. And we've had a couple of people ask us to cover night vision and people are just curious, you know, how does this work? What does, how are we able to create, uh, electronics that allow us to see in near perfect darkness? And so we're going to kind of cover that. Um, night vision, the technology dates back to the late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. It was technology that was developed uh, during World War II and used mainly by the American, British, and and Soviet uh, forces during World War II, although other uh, nations began to to develop their own version of night vision technology around the same time.
1: Well, yeah, the Germans, uh, a lot of the, what we had as far as uh, our technology in the United States was based on some German research that was done in the the late 30s. Yeah. Um and really what it comes down to um is the spectrum of light that that you're trying to see.
0: Yeah, it's it's two different things. It's trying to accept a other parts of light that the human eye is not able to, to detect and also to uh, to amplify whatever little light is there there are two main ways of uh, achieving a night vision uh, uh, technology one is called image enhancement and that's where you're taking the little amount of light that's out there and uh, and trying to amplify it so that you know you're able to see better in that environment and mm-hmm. the other is thermal imaging which is also you know we think of that as being able to see heat mm-hmm. you know the whole idea about uh, like if you've ever seen that documentary uh, predator yeah uh the predator actually uses both forms of this. Uh but the thermal imaging would be the one where it switches and it's that really colorful display where the hotter things in the field of vision are a brighter color, usually red. Mm-hmm. Uh and then the the cooler things are are in the other part of the the spectrum of light. So they'd be, you know, the, if it's cold it might be black, but if it's cooler it might be blue or even kind of an indigo color. Um, both of those are ways of achieving night vision. Uh, the, I think the one that most people think of when they think of night vision is the one where you've got the greenish yeah. uh, uh, display. That's the image enhancement
1: approach. And um, Well, you know, that that's. I think that's the reason people think about it is because it's used that way in TV and the movies. Yeah. Probably so as a visual clue to the viewer that – Hey, we're doing something that you can't normally do.
0: Right? Yeah. Uh, I, in fact, I, I watched a movie just last night that involved having uh, night vision, mm-hmm. the screen tinged in night vision, and uh, it was. Uh, and I'm not going to call it a documentary because that's how much of a skeptic I am. It was Paranormal Activity too, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, in Paranormal Activity, the those movies, those are done as found footage movies, which in case you're not familiar with the term, that's the idea where the film is presented as if it were a collection of clips taken from various cameras uh, that it wasn't meant to be a feature film. It was supposed to be actual footage shot of something, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Cloverfield is another example, or Blair Witch Project is right. another example.
1: Yeah, that's the first one I thought about.
0: Yeah, and it's really popular with the horror crowd. Uh, and, uh, so the Paranormal Activity 2, there's a, uh, one of the cameras that is being used in that has a night vision setting. And it's using the, uh, the image enhancement approach. By the way, in case you're curious about why green, the, the answer I found through my research was that the reason why you get green images is not because of any technological limitation. It's because if you're in an environment where you're using night vision, you want to be able to switch between night vision and your normal vision as quickly as possible. But if you use uh, really intense light and some of the the brighter lights, your uh, pupils will constrict. Hmm. As you're looking at it, which means when you take the night vision glasses off, it's going to take more time for your eyes to readjust to the darkness around you. But the green that is used is a more subtle light. And so your, uh, your pupils are remain mostly dilated. So when you remove the night vision goggles, you don't have as long a time to adjust. It doesn't take as long for you to adjust to night, regular night vision, like our natural night vision, uh, when you when you go back and forth, and that kind of makes sense to me. I mean, if you, especially when you consider that night vision was really originally used as a, a military technology, you would want to be able to have as much versatility and flexibility as possible, so that you can adapt to whatever the situation calls for.
1: Yeah, that makes absolute sense
0: to me. So, so yeah, so at least according to that, we could in theory have night vision where it's any color. Uh, you know, it probably it still probably be monochromatic. Uh, but we'll get into that when we get into the, you know, exactly what's happening. Okay. So, so all the different kinds of night vision rely at least somewhat on the infrared uh, part of the spectrum of light. Right, and that infrared
1: spectrum of light is outside the range of. Uh, the visible light spectrum. Yes. Um, in fact, there are three parts yes. to the infrared spectrum, which is, uh, near infrared. And that's the closest one to the, the visible spectrum. Yes. Spectrum. Yep. Yes, I can say that word. Uh, mid infrared. Um, and that has, uh, oh, I, I didn't mention the, uh, the wavelengths. The wavelengths for near infrared are from 0.7 to 1.3 microns. Um, mid infrared has wavelengths from 1.3 to 3 microns. Um, and then uh, thermal infrared, uh, which is the the biggest part of the infrared spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's from three to more than 30 microns.
0: Yeah, and so the, the thermal infrared, you're talking at that point about uh, infrared uh, radiation, really. Yeah. Heat, in yeah. other words. is so that's kind of how we perceive it usually. But uh, uh, that's something that's actually given off by an object itself, whereas... When we're talking about visible light, that's something that's reflected off of an object, right? So like yeah, if, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm looking at a tree in sunlight, uh, what I'm seeing is the light being reflected off of that tree. It's That light's hitting my eye. It's then going through the whole focal point, getting into my brain. And somewhere up there You're in that gray matter – Yeah, somewhere up there in the gray matter, my brain says, hello, that is a tree, possibly a larch. <laughs> a larch. <laughs> um Can you recognize that from very far away? (laughs) Yes. How to recognize trees from very far away? Quite a long way away. Uh, Yeah. So that's how that would normally work Uh, with thermal infrared. If I were to see an object using thermal infrared, let's say that somehow I have that ability. You know, we're not talking about technology here, but I, I somehow have the 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 natural ability to see the thermal infrared.
1: It happened when they shot him into space, and he was bombarded by cosmic
0: waves. Wow, we're really just <laughs> pop culturing this all to heck and back. So yeah, with a the thermal infrared ability, I would yeah. be able to see the energy that is being emitted by any particular object. Uh, it's not necessarily light that's reflecting off. In fact, there doesn't have to be any sort of light source at all. It just it, so. in if I were in a perfectly dark room, and there was another uh, object there. That's giving off heat, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I would be able to see it because I would be seeing in that range, even though there's no other light source coming in. It would just be that I'm actually seeing that, uh, that energy because, uh, we'll get into why it's kind of interesting it has to do with excitation, but not good vibrations. I was going to say. Yeah. Although perhaps that lady was able, never mind. So moving on. <laughs> Uh, well, she did. She was made up of atoms. That's true. Uh, but before we get into the whole atoms and thermal infrared, let's let's talk about the image enhancement approach first. Okay, sure. Because that's the one that's the most familiar, and uh, and it's kind of uh, interesting. Um, the way that it works currently mm-hmm. is that uh, you've got you've got very basic parts to a particular uh, kind of night vision. You've got you've got your lens. That's where the the light is going through the objective lens. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just a, a lens that catches. Uh, it's a lens. Yeah. It catches ambient light. It catches uh, near infrared light. So mm-hmm. this is the near infrared spectrum, the, the light that's closest to the visible spectrum. Yes. Uh, now that light is sent to a tube and that tube's called the image intensifier tube. Intense. Yeah, and uh, it's been this... drinking
1: energy drinks all day, and yeah.
0: so you can think of this tube. It's almost like a vacuum tube. In fact, there it is. There is a vacuum inside of it. So you think of this sort of a imagine a glass vial. All right, okay. Uh, in the middle of this glass vial, or on one end of the glass vial, you've got something called a photocathode. Mm-hmm. Now the photocathode takes photons. Those are those individual elements of energy for light. Yes, and and those come in the entire spectrum of light. Um, so infrared, there are infrared photons just as there are visible light photons. So, um, the photocathode converts photons into electrons. It's, right. it's one of those, uh. So it, it changes light into
1: electricity, yes. essentially.
0: Yeah. And if you listen to our episode about uh, high speed and low speed photography, uh, we talked about how there are certain types of, uh, uh materials that when, uh, a photon strikes it, it causes a reaction.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. that's
0: the case here. A photocathode. It's that's the and that's how it behaves. When a photon hits it, it gives off an electron. Uh, so you've got the photocathode at one end of this tube, and that's where the the light that's being captured by the lens is directed to the photocathode. The electrons emitted by the photocathode then have to pass through what is called a microchannel plate, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or MCP.
1: Yeah, it's a little glass disc.
0: Yeah. See, I thought MCP was the Master Control Program, well, end of line. It is. Oh, okay. However,
1: two different MCPs. Well, it was until
0: Tron got hold of it. That's right.
1: So, Uh-oh.
0: glass disc, Tron, MCP. I I'm sensing some convergence here.
1: Also, we mentioned Tron
0: again. Yep. So anyway, you've got this glass, little tiny glass disc called a microchannel plate that has. Uh, lots and lots of channels. That's why it's called a microchannel plate. Lots of channels that go through this plate. Okay, so think of the plate, think of it like a a dish. Yeah. you got a dish, put it up on its side, and it has a whole bunch of little holes drilled in it. Yeah. Now, those holes are what allow electrons to pass through, but there's also an electrode on either side of the dish. Mm-hmm. So electrons coming from the photocathode strike one side of this microchannel plate and start to go through one of the channels and they're going through in the same direction they came from the uh the from the photocathode mm-hmm. uh section of this this uh, uh this image intensifier tube so the photon converts to electron electron goes through this channel as it goes through the channel it starts to actually set off a uh a a well a reaction
1: Yeah, and it basically functions as a multiplier for the electrons. It's
0: called a a cascaded secondary emission. So this is where when an electron collides with something inside that that channel, it starts to set off other electrons uh, down that same pathway. And there's a voltage applied to those electrodes that's channeling the electrons through that pathway. Like that's why they're going in that direction. Mm -hmm. So you've got more and more electrons bouncing off of each other through these channels uh, which means that you've you've created an amplifier. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you guys want to know kind of like a big picture way of what this might look like, <laughs> uh, imagine having a uh, 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 and you can see plenty of videos of this on YouTube, but imagine having a big glass container filled with mousetraps and each mousetrap ah. has a ping pong ball set on it. Right. And then you drop a ping pong ball into the the glass chamber, and that will set off a mousetrap, and as the ping pong balls bounce around, they set off more and more mousetraps, so you, the, soon the glass case, like within a fraction of a second, ball, the balls are bouncing everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same sort of idea here with the microchannel plate, except that we're talking on a, a subatomic level, and we're talking about something that's really channeled, really has a, a, a firm direction, so instead of the electrons bouncing everywhere, they're going in a very specific direction. Right. Now, when they get to the other side of that microchannel plate, you've got the electrons still traveling in the same direction they were when they came in on the front side. Mm-hmm. But now there are way more electrons, right? You yes. just amplified the number. Yeah. The electrons then hit uh, a a screen that's uh, coated with phosphors. Now mm-hmm. phosphors. Phosphors. <laughs> phosphors do the. They're they're kind of like the opposite of the photocathode, right? They take when an electron strikes the phosphor, they give off light. Mm
1: -hmm. So you're changing the electron back to a photon. A
0: photon, right. But now because there are more electrons coming through hitting that phosphor than they were coming in, the light that's generated is much greater in intensity than the light that was coming in. Mm -hmm. So you've amplified the light. Now that – Information that light is sent to a viewer of some type. It could just be a regular lens, which is usually called the ocular lens, or it could be sent to a monitor. Mm-hmm. So if you have a night, a pair of night vision goggles or a night vision scope, uh, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that amplified light hitting the lens or the, the uh, monitor. That's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome, right? And again, this isn't just the, the, visible light, the ambient visible light that's out there, but also the infrared light. So, um, uh, because those photons, you know, it doesn't, you know, the photons, it doesn't uh, matter if it's visible or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the more light that's hitting certain areas, the, the brighter it's going to be for, uh, whatever it is you're looking at. So if you're looking at something that's, that's fairly reflective, um, you're going to be able to see it uh, in higher definition than you could with something that is not as reflective. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are different ways of actually achieving this too. You, you can, uh, have a various, uh, th- there are various generations yeah. of this technology. All right. So the earliest generation of this technology actually involved shining infrared light at the objects you're looking at through the, uh, through the night vision goggles.
1: Right. So when that, that infrared light was reflected, then you would be able to see it.
0: Right. Because these goggles were not so sensitive as to be able to take just the ambient light. Right. If you did that, you would probably get you, – you might be able to see marginally better than you would if you had just used your regular vision. But using this infrared flashlight, essentially, uh, you could illuminate the, um, the scene and be able to see it through the night vision goggles. But if you did not have the goggles, because infrared light falls outside the visible spectrum, any independent observer wouldn't be able to tell what you were doing.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, I um, I did some research on the the U.S. military mm-hmm. website about uh, the history of uh, of night vision, and apparently um, they sent about 300 sniper scopes over to be used in the Pacific theater during World War II, but they they didn't get used very much because of the way that the technology worked. Um, they really could see less than 100 yards. Yeah. The, so they weren't very effective.
0: Right, because, again, since it's dependent upon uh, a a reflected ray of infrared light, uh, if it's, you know, the ray's starting to disperses as it goes out, right? It's right. not, mm-hmm. not a, not a concentrated it's ray not like, like a, a laser. A beam. Yeah, it's not a beam. It, it does disperse and diffuse as it goes out. So the further away your target, the less likely you're going to be able to see it. And even with a really, really advanced version, this, by the way, is called active infrared. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you are actively beaming infrared radiation out in order to try and see, uh, stuff coming back through the, the monitors. Um, if, uh, because, because you're relying on that reflection, if it's too far away, you're not going to be able to see very well. So, obviously, a sniper rifle where, at least in theory, you want to be able to put your snipers at a good distance away from the targets to maximize their effectiveness and minimize the chance that they will be targeted. Um, it doesn't, it's not so effective if, you know, your, your distance is cut down that dramatically.
1: Yeah, plus the uh, the first generation wasn't exactly um, useful for someone like a sniper, considering the batteries were huge and yeah. the, the uh, IR emitters had to be carried on flatbed trucks. Yeah. It's hard to put one of those up in a tree.
0: Yeah, yeah. It turns out that uh, also – all of these are going to involve having a power supply of some sort, but uh, for the active infrared, it requires even a lot more more yeah, energy. Because you not you not just for your your actual night vision device, whether it's a scope or goggles or whatever, but also for the emitter. Uh, by the way, that generation is normally referred to as Generation Zero yeah. for night vision. Uh, generation One was the first generation using passive infrared uh, system. Now this was the kind of, of night vision goggles or, or scope that could just use the ambient light in the area, although it needed a good amount of the ambient light. So uh, moonlight or starlight. It's funny you should say starlight. Yeah, That's because, what it was called. Yeah, in the U.S. Army, they called it starlight. Uh, uh, the Without the moon or stars, you wouldn't be able to see very much. So on an overcast night, it would not be terribly useful.
1: Yeah, but on a clear day, you could see forever.
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to, but on a clear day, you don't need night vision. Ding. Okay. Starlight. First star I see tonight. Um, so yeah, uh, uh they, it was better than generation zero. Yes. Still, still pretty far a cry from what we have today. Although, interestingly, uh, if you were to go out and buy a pair of night vision goggles, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a consumer brand version, yeah. it'd probably be, Generation one. I would guess. You know, that's uh, the military tends to reserve the more <laughs> the more uh, advanced forms. Uh, generation no. two. It's possible that it could be generation two as well. Generation two, were uh, they they had better uh, image intensifier tubes, which meant that they could use them in extreme low light conditions. So on a moonless night, you could use these and it would be, uh, strong enough to be able to, to amplify that light so you could see. Generation three is what you can find in the U.S. military now. Um, and that is, uh, they, they used a, a new kind of photocathode called gallium arsenide. So it's even more sensitive than the previous ones, which means that, you know, it's, it's not that the, um, They've really advanced the technology that much. They just found a material that that emits electrons much more readily than others.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I believe we talked about gallium arsenide when we talked about transistors. I
0: believe we did some
1: months back.
0: Yeah, and then we have generation four. Uh, which is yet more improvements, uh, and it works both in, uh, in, in low and high level, uh, light environments, which that's important too, because some, sometimes you're in an environment where you're gonna have more light than, uh, than, well, let's take two separate nights, okay? We have one mm-hmm. night where, let's say there's a lot of moonlight, Uh, there's starlight. There might even be some, some lights set up in whatever it is you're looking at. Like, let's say it's an enemy encampment. Let's say you're a sniper looking at an enemy encampment. Uh, if you're using a device that's meant for low light environments, you might not be able to see anything anyway because all of that light just overwhelms the device. And so you, all you see is just a big, you know, green screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so you need to have one that can work in both kinds of situations. Um, so yeah, that's your basic, that's your basic uh, uh, image enhancement style night vision device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I guess we can move on to the um, the thermal devices, which again can look at you can look at stuff and see the energy it's giving off, the light it's giving off, even though light uh, uh, an outside source of light isn't necessarily present.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And this has to in This involves the whole concept of excitation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, you have to have a uh, a special type of lens to use uh, when you're working with thermal imaging, um, basically to uh, identify the infrared light. And you've got to – what happens is once the light is focused through the lens, um, a phased array of infrared detector elements scans it, Yeah. um, basically uh, trying to create a – a uh, pattern called a thermogram, which is, shows you the different uh, ranges in temperature. Right. Um, and this can be done pretty quickly, uh, about one thirtieth of a second.
0: Yeah. So, like, know,
1: okay, thirty. There you go. Thirty frames about a that second, fast.
0: essentially. So yeah, that, true. And, and considering that film is twenty-four frames a second, that is that's fast enough. Fast. Yeah, it's fast enough so that you can get a good view. So even if something's in motion. Uh, you should be able to get a, a pretty good view of it
1: yeah and then and then very much like uh the other style it um creates a thermogram uh and then translates it into uh an electric impulse mm-hmm. um just like that, and then it's sent to a signal processing unit mm-hmm. which is basically an um a electronic uh circuit board right um and uh instead of converting. Electrons to photons, it actually uh, creates a display of information. Right. Um, so it's more like a computer than it is a, an ocular system like yeah. the other one.
0: Yeah. You wouldn't have a lens. You would have a monitor of some site, some type. Now that monitor might be small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it could be a monitor that want even it to be fits with Probably. Yeah. It could even fit into uh, a headset or or binoculars or whatever. Um, yeah. This is the what I was talking about with the the documentary Predator, where you've got the different colors representing different temperatures. Mm-hmm. So, uh if you've ever watched any <sighs> ghost hunting shows <laughs> where they use thermal detectors to try and see if there are cold or warm spots, that's what they're using. By the way, yeah. uh just so just side note, mm-hmm. uh the air can actually retain heat for a good amount of time. So let's say that you're with a big crew of people down in a cold basement and you've set up a bunch of lights and stuff and you're filming some things. And then you turn the lights off and you go and you turn on the thermal imaging detector uh, and you see this hot spot in the air that could possibly be generated by someone who had been standing there for about five or ten minutes or even a light that had been turned on. Not necessarily a paranormal uh, uh, ghostly presence. Okay, rant over.
1: I was actually going to use Blue Thunder as an example. Okay, like they used to, they would fly outside and hover outside the window, and they could see the shapes where people were. Yeah, um, which is funny because when you when you mention it like that, in the movies and TV, uh, when a person moves across the room, the heat stay you know stays with the person. Yeah, it makes very, an identifiable human shape.
0: Right, it's very very much uh, defined to that particular shape.
1: It seems like. In, in the case of, uh, since the air can retain heat, it seems like they would leave a trail of uh, some.
0: Yeah, depending on how, or, or
1: a residual pattern, right? Depend- much as the Roadrunner does with the little cloud of dust when it yeah. takes off.
0: Well, if you're if you're moving if you're moving steadily through the environment, you're probably not leaving much of a trail. Uh, but if you have been staying in a position in one for, spot a while, for a while and then start moving, then it wouldn't be so quick as to you wouldn't see like a a clearly human defined red shape. Uh, move fr- uh, from a, a, a position that had been standing in for like 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then move across the room. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be an, a, an immediate effect. You would still be able to see at least the residual heat that was left behind. Now it might be enough so that you can clearly tell which one's the human and which one's just the space that the human was in. Right. But it's not going to be, you know, just totally clear cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm sorry.
1: I was just going to say. So, if you're if you're looking at uh, a show and they're showing a colored image of you know night vision, basically that's thermal imaging. Yeah. And if you're looking at the monochromatic green screen version, that would be the image In- enhancement. enhancement. So you know now which one is which.
0: Right. So let why are you able to see the heat? That's the question. Well, hmm. let me let me talk about some atoms here. Now you've probably heard us talk about how atoms are. Uh, Normally, they're moving. Yes. It's really only if you're at zero Kelvin when you have no molecular movement, when you have no movement on the atomic scale.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: thank you. Absolute zero. Yes. Uh, because you know, atoms are always moving, even in, in solid material, like a block of marble. Mm-hmm. The atoms within that block of marble are moving. Yes. They're not moving necessarily at the same speed as, say, uh, oxygen. Gas is moving, but they are moving, and uh, atoms have a, a, a specific state, an energy state that they are naturally found in. The Oklahoma? ground state. No, no, not that kind of state. the The ground state is what we call it. That's the ground state energy level. That's the amount of energy an atom has mm-hmm. normally if no other uh, outside uh, forces or energies are acting upon it. Okay. OK. So you've got the ground state energy level. That's when all the electrons are at their normal uh, electron shell distances from the nucleus of the atom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you add energy to an atom, then you excite the electrons until they start to have so much energy that they'll pop into outer electron shells mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. out from the nucleus. And the more energy you pour in, the further out they get. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you remove that energy, when that energy is, uh, when the electrons get to a point where the energy has, has decreased enough so that the, the electrons are going to go back toward the nucleus, yes. they have to give off some kind of energy for that to happen. You know, right? So think of it almost like you have a, a, a balloon and you over inflate that balloon. When you let out the, uh, the air then that balloon's going to deflate some right it's going to yeah. come back down to a, a, a smaller size and if you keep it open it's going to go all the way down to flat well the electrons are going to start moving back toward the nucleus they give off photons when they do this mm-hmm. and depending upon the material uh, that in question you'll get different different kinds of photons within the spectrum of light so yeah. some things are going to give off light that is actually visible especially if you pour enough energy into it that's why let's say you've got a um, a toaster oven yeah and you got the toaster oven going on full blast and you look in and you see the little toaster oven coils have turned red yes that's actually photons being given off by these atoms and uh if you were to pour even more energy into it if you were to crank it up a notch those coils might start to glow even brighter mm-hmm. and different colors. So if they went from red to orange, that would mean that you have even more energy that's being given off, mm-hmm. right? That you've, you've poured more into it and it's, and it's giving off higher energy photons. So, uh, all materials, all, all things are giving off at least some kind of photon energy when they are uh, because of the, the whole idea of movement and excitation. Mm-hmm. And the more it gives off, the brighter it's going to be. So, uh, that's, that's what the thermal night vision goggles are detecting. When, when they're go, when the light's being pulled through that lens, when the lens is directing that light to the, uh, the sensors, it's detecting the, the photons that are given off, the thermal infrared photons that are given off by things just because of the excitation of atoms. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're actually looking at. That's why you can be in a completely isolated room. You could be in a cave. Deep below the Earth's surface, where there's there's no ambient light whatsoever, and still be able to see based upon the uh, what's around you. Now, the less the less uh, stuff gives off heat, then the less you're going to be able to see. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the less the less excitation is there. So, if you're in a cave where there's nothing else living in there, it may you know the thermal the thermal goggles may not do you any good except to let you see where your feet are in relation to the rest of you.
1: So that might be more useful to carry, say, a flashlight.
0: Yes. Yes, that might be a good idea to carry a flashlight. Or or a headlamp. Yeah. Even better. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the the basics of night vision. It's pretty cool stuff. I don't know. Uh, have you ever had an opportunity to actually look through any sort of night vision stuff? No, not really. I just
1: haven't been exposed to it. Um, yeah. But you can use it for all kinds of different things. Of course, the military applications are obvious. Yeah. Um, but you can use it for, uh, you know, photography,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, for spelunking. You know, that was a, an excellent, uh, suggestion. Yep. You know, all kinds of sports and things where you might be out uh, hunting, you know, out mm-hmm. in the woods.
0: There are a lot of camcorders out there that have it now. Yeah. There's also cars that have, uh, displays that include night vision, uh, um, a night vision element so that you can see better when you're driving at night. Yeah. And and there are in fact cars that use different versions of it. There's some that use the thermal version where mm-hmm, they're really mm-hmm. detecting the heat of things so that uh you can get an idea if there's something in the road like a person or an animal. Yeah. But those are only going to show you things that are again active really. Right. Uh then there are other kinds that use the the uh the image enhancement style um and there are even some that use the active image enhancement. So when you turn on your headlights, you're actually beaming not just visible light, but infrared rays as well, Yeah, you know, infrared uh, radiation. So uh, the the system in those cars picks up the reflection, just like we were talking about in the Generation Zero image enhancement night vision. It uses that same uh, principle. Now, that, of course, means that the range is limited, mm-hmm. just as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And if it's a foggy night... It doesn't work so well because the fog will reflect that uh, that radiation back before it can hit something more substantial. So you'll just end up – it's just like fog, right? It's just like if you were to put your high uh, beams on the fog bank.
1: It's like pea soup out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in and, and that case, the night vision might not help you out unless you have – well, if you have the thermal one, it, it might. Yeah. But the, um, the 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 image enhancement style, not so not so useful in that situation. Yeah,
1: I've also uh, read that they're looking into the possibility of adding it to some smartphones,
0: which mm. would be interesting. Um, I've so, definitely yeah. seen the overlays where it's not—it's not actual thermal imaging,
1: but it looks like it
0: is. Yeah, right. it's the—it's just the you know all Simulated. it does is yeah, all it does is simulate thermal imaging, so that it overlays all these bright hyper colors on top of uh, an image. Color. I still have a hyper color shirt. Do you? Yeah. Does it work? Not anymore. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> That's for another podcast. We'll have to do a whole That'll podcast just fun. on hypercolor. Oh man, I've got a, I've, I've written an article about it. All right, guys. We're going to wrap this up. If you have suggestions for particular kinds of technology that you would like us to tackle, let us know. You can email us. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it
0: today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?